This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Trying to get by Benning. Darnell Nurse left it in the corner. Gets up center. Perry. All right, we're back to recap the Anaheim Ducks series against the San Jose Sharks, a Sunday edition of the show today. No post-game show, I guess. It's kind of a post-game show still. We're just a few hours late uh, into the next morning here. But, uh, man. It's after a game. Still, yeah, I think it it's after a game before the next game. So it, we have a long window to still be considered a post-game show. So I'll, I'll chalk it up as being a post-game show. Thank God uh, that we don't have to do games on the first back-to-back post-game shows because that first game was a, a brutal 6 nothing loss to the Sharks. Not that last night's 3-1 loss was any better, but, jeez, uh, it's like you string off two back-to-back wins. You look not great, but pretty good, and score a lot of goals, and the positives are there. And then you follow that up with just these two games, these two performances. Like, you can never get too hopeful. If you're a Ducks fan uh, right now, especially like you end up getting hit in the face with with just you know getting outscored nine to one by the Sharks to end weekend. Not not a fun not a fun time right now for the Ducks. That's not how you like to spend your, your free time is getting uh, outscored nine to one over two games by one of the worst teams in the league. That's not fun for you. Like, produces great content for the show, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> I, it, it, it's funny what you said about like not. Uh, being glad not to have, you know, shows on the first night of the back-to-back because I think for me, like, as crappy as I felt last night, it was a cumulative thing, whereas uh, Friday night it was just, oh, that sucked. We just, like, we just got worked. And last night, like, they didn't look much better. Uh, but it was more of just the totality of the back-to-back game so close and just being like, oh, and then, you know, some of the news, which I know we'll get to and stuff. But it was just, oof, that was, yeah. that was a rough way to, to get into the weekend. And I think the thing... Especially losing sleep now and all that crap. Yeah, oh, yeah. One. And I think the thing, too, is, like, you go from a 6 nothing loss, like, Danton Heinen's still scratched in that game. Troy Terry also scratched. You know, at least Trevor Zegers is, is in that game, and, you know, we get to end up watching him play. And then the problem is you come into Saturday night... I know the Ducks have scratched Zegras on the last back-to-back they have, so I guess that you know isn't necessarily indicative of, of his play and the fact that they aren't happy with his play. More so, they still just for some reason don't want to play him on back-to-backs, but 
I think this is one of the, the, the problems we've had with Dallas Aikens and his management of Trevor Zegers so far is, is why not? Like, why do you have him up here if you're going to say, hey, we're not going to play you on the second game of the back-to-back. We're not going to put you out there on defensive zone face-offs. We're going to shelter your minutes a little bit. Sometimes if it's a tight game, we're going to bench you for the, for the rest of the third period. Like, how, how does this benefit him at all, right? Like, I, I know we joked before he got called up and, and people were saying, oh, you're going to ruin his development by throwing him into this situation. And I was firmly against that, saying there's no way. Like, just if he gets up here and plays, that's better for his development than not being up here. But they found, like, the only way to come in and potentially ruin his development. And and that's just playing around with his minutes and his ice time. Like he's a baby. Like I get it. He's a 19, an 18 year old kid coming in, playing his first NHL season. But the way they've managed it, it's just so weird and so awful to be like, yeah, you know what? We're not going to give you the full NHL experience. We're going to kind of taper some things back and, and, you know, spoon feed you it. And I, I just don't get it. Like it makes no sense. Yeah, I think, um, you know, I, the back-to-back thing is whatever. Like, it's fine. You know, I I think the the benching and stuff is a bigger issue for me. Um, I definitely agree that he's shown that he's ready. Uh, I think it was Chris Peters, maybe, in The Athletic who said it, but somebody made the comment about how just let him play, and he's going to take ownership, and he's going to, you know, he's he's going to seize the moment. He's that kind of player, and I think we've seen that, you know. Uh, on and off the ice, you know, some of his little interviews and little stuff like that. He seems like a guy who gets it and he really just wants to be there to help and he's not short on confidence. So the fact that he's kind of has the self-awareness to do the little stuff in public, right, like is nice. Um, But I just think it's weird too because it kind of doesn't match up with what the team is saying because, you know, Either you're really bad and you might as well just play him or you think you're good and he's the second best offensive player on the team. So you should play him. Uh, The middle that they're walking is almost just like, "Eh, we're pretty good, maybe not. So we're just going to kind of, you know, wrap him in plastic wrap and see what happens. It doesn't it doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, It also doesn't match up with what they've done with their prospects in the past. Like, yeah, they've slowly brought guys along, but it's usually, you know, some seasoning in the AHL. And then when you're up here, you get every opportunity to play based on your skill set. And it's like they've said, okay, well, we've got a completely different type of player here. We've got, like, a special player and Trevor Zegras, and they're scared to mess it up. And in being scared to mess it up, they're messing it up. Like, they're they're just completely butchering the, the handling of him, in my opinion here. Like... If he's not playing well, and if he was clearly not playing well and struggling, I would completely understand it. Taking him out of some key situations, you know, not if he can't, if he clearly couldn't handle the defensive side of the game, then maybe not putting him out there for defensive zone faceoffs and late in games, fine. But he's not like he looks good. He he's played well. He's been one of the most creative, if not the most creative player on the ice for the Ducks when he's out there, and he hasn't been a detriment in his own. But they feel like they need to baby him and tailor his minutes and, and kind of sit him on back-to-back so he can get tired or whatever. And, and I just don't see how that's the right approach for a young player to put him through that because when he eventually does get a full taste of the NHL, it's all going to be new to him. Like he, he, he's, not, you know, he's not getting the full taste right now with you know, back-to-backs and playing you know, in tight key situations, which eventually when Trevor Zegras is playing at his best for the Ducks, that's what he's going to be required to do. 
being out there in the final mm-hmm. three minutes of the game, playing in, in key offensive and defensive zone faceoffs, playing in back-to-backs, and when he eventually gets given that responsibility, it's all new for him. He's going to have to start from the beginning. Yeah, I you know, I it's kind of weird, right? Because the argument for playing him because it's not new is the same as you need to play him or it's going to be new. Um, you know, he's done all of these kinds of things at lower levels and he's shown that he can be successful and now he needs to be given the opportunity to do them at higher levels. And so like part of me does think like he's done this before, so maybe it won't be as big of a thing, but if that's the case, then just play it now. Um, it's honestly almost like they, they, you know, they don't know what to do with someone this skilled. Um, I, I honestly wonder if, the way the Richie and Fowler situations played out and their public misgivings about how they handled their careers is causing them to be overly cautious with Zegris. Um, and I also wonder how, and I, I don't want to say this to excuse Aikens, but I wonder how much of this is Aikens and how much of this is Murray, because I know more than a few people who watch the goals have said, this team doesn't play like those goals teams. And if that's the case, then either Dallas Aikens has completely changed his thing because he doesn't think what he did at the goals level can work at the NHL level, which is good and bad uh, and shows a level of like self-awareness. Or it's Bob Murray just screwing everything up like we already kind of think he is. And so, you know, I I really wonder kind of what's going on with some of that stuff. And I, I think that for me is part of the problem for us on the outside is some of the stuff that isn't even happening on the ice is more interesting or frustrating than some of the stuff that is on the ice. Um, You know, I don't, you know, I think at this point in the season, we all are really aware of what this team is and we understand they're really not going to be in a lot of games unless somebody gets hot or the goalies are good. Um, but just the way that they're doing things off the ice makes the on ice situation harder to deal with, I think. Yeah. And I think in terms of handling Zegras, I, you know, obviously a lot of it is on Dallas Akins, but you know, Bob Murray is, is been criticized for a lot of things lately for good reason. I think he's kind of escaped this ha- handling of Trevor Zegras because it's directly, obviously the coach's kind of decision of when and where to play him. But if Bob Murray really had an issue with how Dallas Akins was using Trevor Zegers, he would make it known, and it would likely be changed. I, you know, I obviously don't know the, the inner workings of their relationship, but obviously Bob Murray has some some significant tr- control over how some players are used and when they're put into the lineup. You would have think, mm-hmm. you know, he's just came out in, in in the Athletic article recently and and kind of vouched his support for for Dallas Akins and everything that that he's doing. Obviously, you know, it's not something. It's not like a situation where he's going to come out and say he ha- doesn't like it. If he if he hadn't liked what he was doing right now, but this this I think this handling of Zegers as much as it is Dallas Aikens' fault, I think Bob Murray gets has to get lumped into that discussion as well because he's clearly happy with the way they're handling Trevor Zegers, uh, you know his ice time and 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 his deployment and everything like that. Otherwise, I think he'd be back down in San Diego, or there would have been a significant change to how he was being used because. You know, for a second there, we saw the first few games where we were getting kind of upset how he was used. And then I think for the next three or four games, he was playing a lot of minutes. I think one night he played over 20 minutes and and things started seemingly going in the right direction. Then we started regressing back into this, you know, benching him for for tough games and tight games and, 
you know, hampering his minutes, and and it just kind of started coming back to to what we had issues with, right? And and Trevor Zegers wasn't the only player scratched mm-hmm. last night either. And interestingly enough, I think it was you in in our uh, in our group chat for the podcast a couple of days ago were saying how it's almost time for Sam Steele. To, to sit out for one of these games and he mm-hmm. ends up getting scratched last night for Danton Hyde come back in. And, and I think out of everything that, you know, the, the Zegers one is what it is. I don't think they're scratching him because of his played. I think it's more of the back to back thing and the approach they're taking with him. Yeah, absolutely. In Sam Steele's case, I think it was uh, a healthy scratch in the sense that, you know, you haven't been playing great lately. We need to see more from you offensively. We're taking it out of the lineup, and you know you can get get another shot here. Maybe it's on Tuesday against Colorado or further down the road. And I think he needs that kick in the pants because you know defensively, I think he's been good. His his duties as a, a centerman, I think he's been a lot more impressive than I thought he would be. So I think operating at around fifty six percent in the faceoff dot right now, which when he was coming to the NHL, I thought would be an issue. But as his play in terms of driving play as a center and, and his ability to generate offense right now, I think it's severely lacking. And I don't, I never thought I would be sitting here say this about Sam Steele. I, I would, I would have expected it to be the complete opposite that, you know, he's driving yeah. play and getting things done offensively, but you know, on the defensive side of the game, he's struggling and, and those are where the issues lie, but we're, we're talking about the complete opposite now that he can't generate offense. And you know, yeah, he scored a couple of nights ago, but it was fairly lucky. You know, it goes off his foot and then off his stick and, and into the back of the net. And outside of that, he really hasn't generated much, which for me has been probably one of the most disappointing parts of this season because I felt like Sam Steele was ahead of the curve when you look at guys like Isaac Linderstrom and Max Jones and, and Maxim Comtois to begin the year. And outside of maybe Troy Terry, he's been the most disappointing one this year. And, and you could, I think you could make an argument that maybe he's even been more disappointing than Troy Terry has because at least the underlying numbers are there for Terry. Yeah, I the it's weird. I think um you know you were talking about his faceoff numbers and we were talking about this the other day that his faceoff numbers are really good right now. Um and like I am not someone who you know discounts faceoffs. I think it matters. I think it's an important skill set to have. I understand that uh you know analytically we can show that over the course of a season that maybe it's not as impactful as we would like to believe or certain people would like us to believe. But I don't think having someone who can get you the puck in an instant is bad, which is what a faceoff is. Um, but that being said, if what he brings right now is fresh legs and uh, a faceoff, then he's Nate Thompson. And he needs to be more than that. And if he's not more than that, he either needs to be sent down to see if he can become something more than that or, you know, I, I don't know. But I think at this point, the fact that Sam Steele and Nate Thompson are functionally uh, the same player is an issue. Like, I don't mind, you know, like Grant or Rowney or whatever being on that fourth line as a wing because they have that face-off ability. And so, you know, if you have Grant, Rowney, and Backus, you've got literally three guys that can take a face-off. You've got one righty, two lefties, all that kind of crap. But if you're 23 um, and you were a first-round pick – and this team is looking for people to shore up its its forward depth and to become a little bit more than they are. You know, I think for me, I had always hoped he would just kind of be Rico. Like yeah. that was my hope. Is like if he's Henrique, we we nailed yeah, it. Forty to fifty you know point I mean? second line center can score around yeah. twenty goals. Like that's what I I thought he would be. Yeah, like you know, like a high end third line or a low end second line kind of guy. Um, you know. 
but I mean, hell, I remember uh, an interview with Merrick and Merrick said, you know, he thinks his ceiling is high end second line center. And, you know, I had certainly tempered my expectations a little bit from that, but excuse me, but, um, yeah, it doesn't seem like that's where he's at right now. And it's hard to know what it is because Aikens and him seem to get along great in San Diego and he was, uh, an important part of those San Diego teams. So I, it's hard to know what the deal with Sam Steele is right now. Yeah, and, you know, he, I don't think he's one of those guys you, you give up on yet because we've seen the offense there in the past, and he might just be one of those guys that it takes a little bit longer to get there. Like, I remember his rookie season. I, I, I loved him in his rookie season. 11 points in 22 games. I thought he looked good. He was playing well offensively, and then it was just kind of the defensive side of the thing that he needed to work on. I feel like his focus over the last couple of years has been really to shore up that side of his game and make sure that that part of his game is NHL-ready and consistent. And now for him, it's just getting back to what made him a first-round pick to begin with, and that was the offensive flair and his playmaking ability and you know his, his sneaky goal-scoring ability that he had and his shiftiness. And we, we haven't seen that in a couple of years from Sam Steele, but he's definitely not a guy that you know I'm ready to give up on yet because I think out of all the, the, the Ducks' prospects in terms of potential, I still think he has a fairly high ceiling. It's just the floor might not be as high as some of the other guys we're talking about here. And, you know, the thing for me is, you know, Max Jones scored the only goal for the Ducks over this Sharks series. It was a really good individual effort to, to get to a loose puck and score. And, you know, we've seen plays like that from him, from Comtois, from Terry with the toe drag goal a couple a couple weeks ago, from Lindstrom with the hat trick this year where we've seen some some highlight reel and, and plays and, and some real progress from these guys. I think the only one we really haven't seen something like that from is Sam Steele. And I think that's kind of what I'm waiting for. It's just you know one of those games and one of those stretches where he just stands out as one of the better players on the team. And right now it kind of just seems like he's fading into the background as not you know a, a detriment to the Ducks lineup, but just a guy who's there, right? He's just kind of there right now, getting things done, but not really doing too much to stand out from the rest. And, and I think that's what I want to see from Sam Steele for the rest of the season here. Yeah, I think... Um... You know, I think it's interesting um, because, and correct me if I'm wrong, because I know you're a little bit more familiar with him from juniors than I am, obviously, but I, I, I don't feel like Sam Steele ever had an overwhelming ability or a singular skill, right? Like we were talking about Daniel Sprong for whatever dumb reason before we started, and you were saying, like, you know, like his shot is elite, but the problem is nothing else that he does is any good. Um, and I think the thing with Steele is his game should be based on subtlety and hockey IQ and things like that. And we're not seeing that right now. And so it's hard to know if it's just, he's still getting his legs under him at the NHL level, which can happen. I know we all want guys to develop a lot faster than they do sometimes, but I I don't think it's out of uh, the realm of possibility that, you know, he's just taking a little while to get his legs under him. But at this point, it is a little concerning that he doesn't seem to be doing the little things well enough that it makes up for the fact that maybe his other skills aren't where you would hope they would be. And I think that for me is the issue because I think, you know, he's got 
good vision and good passing, but he hasn't seemed to make much of it, and it's hard to know why. Yeah, and and, and it's too early to, to kind of sit here and say, you know, his skill set just didn't translate well to the NHL. You know, he's only 23, so the, no, there's for sure. still some time for it to happen, but it, it there is some worry there. I think you, you can start to be a bit worried on, is he going to get to that potential? Is this going to be what he's going to be? Because he's no longer 20 or 21. You know, he's getting to that point mm-hmm. where... He needs to to be, you know, a bit closer to the player we thought he was going to be, and uh, you know the next couple seasons I think are going to be huge for Sam Steele to prove that you know he can be a, a big part of this team's future because there's going to be a lot of young centers on their way in this organization. There already is, and you know Getzlaff obviously is going to likely still be here and sign a new contract. Henrik's here for the foreseeable future unless he gets picked up by by Seattle. Lindstrom has played good this year. Benoit Olivier Grew is in, in San Diego. And eventually, if you want to move Zegras to center, you've also got that to compete with as well. So it's not like Sam Steele's roster spot is locked down by any means. I think it was more of a lock at the beginning of the season than it is now. And uh, that's not a good sign for him. You know, I, I want to I wanna see him kind of get going over the next couple uh, next couple seasons here and hopefully by the end of the year this year. But before we move into our post-game topics, I think we really need to kind of outline just how bad the Ducks have been over these last 20 games. You know, obviously there's a lot of <laughs> a lot of calling for, for the, the heads of Dallas Aikens and Bob Murray for good reason. Uh, but I don't know too many general managers or coaches that kind of survive a stretch like this where you look at over the last 20 games, the Ducks have lost 15 of them. Uh, only two teams have a lower points percentage, and that's New Jersey and Buffalo. Uh, New Jersey is just behind at 344 points percentage the Ducks had a three 0.35 sorry and Buffalo had a 0.176 so Buffalo's just been completely awful but uh and then in the eight games in March the Ducks have surrendered 34 goals that's the most in the league you know that comes after a week after Bob Murray was touting how this team's strength was their defense and their goaltending they were outscored 34 to 21 they had the joint most shots against over that eight game stretch with 247 tied with Vancouver Second most scoring chances against with 226. The most high danger chances against with 99. And the most high danger goals against with 23, which was six more than the next highest team, which is Buffalo. <laughs> that, you know, that not a great start to March. Obviously not a great 20-game stretch. It, it's, you know, I, I don't think it's the goaltender's fault. So when I say, you know, Bob Murray's wrong and saying the Ducks' strength is goaltending and defense... Um, you know, I think John Gibson and Ryan Miller are just kind of victims of how bad this team is. But the defense hasn't been good lately. It, it really hasn't. And, you know, the Ducks have been generating more offense, but it seems like they've been generating more offense at the cost of being worse defensively. You know, I think one of the things we, we kind of talked about early on in the season is, yeah, this team can't generate offense, but, you know, defensively they've been better and they've stepped up and uh, they're not allowing as many shots against and chances against. And it seems like they've regressed to that team from last year that just hammered shot attempts because now they're trying to score more goals with what they have and they can't do it. They've changed their approach and they've gotten back to what just made them so awful to watch last year, which just just getting shelled in shot attempts and high danger chances against and and it is not a good look and you know I'm I'm surprised they've lasted this long I'm not sure kind of what the the organizational mantra is right now in terms of keeping them around but it uh, it has not been a good stretch for the Ducks right now 
No, I, you know, the other thing I think that's interesting is Bob Murray's comments about defense and goaltending kind of caught my eye too. And I think to an extent he's right in, if you looked at both groups at full health and said, which of these is likely to be better? Um, I think you would point at the defense and go, well, you got Lindholm, Fowler, Manson, Shattenkirk. Uh, you know, Hockenpah's looked like he's been all right. Larson at times hasn't been a tire fire. You know, all that little stuff. Maher has been okay. And you can look and see how you talk yourself into thinking uh, that maybe defense is going to be your thing. And for Bob Murray, that's always going to be a thing that he wants. You know what I mean? He's an old school guy. He played defense. Like, that. that's his whole thing. The problem is, is two of your top four defensemen are hurt. One of them is the best defenseman on the team and really sometimes feels like the only one uh, who can consistently shut down other teams. Um, You know, I think we were looking at him the other day on his RAPM charts and Lindholm was hilarious because his goals four were in the tank, but everything else was positive. And it's just like, oh, yeah, he's been totally fine. The team just sucks. Um, But, you know, that defense, even if it is okay, is getting strained because of their inability to score goals you know i was just looking at it and i think it's like 24 games is how far back it goes but it's the the 3-1 avalanche win which was then followed by the the one nothing coyotes win i think it's about 23 24 games in that span they've scored more than two goals seven times and they've lost more than a couple of those um you know this team is just fundamentally unable to score goals and it is causing them lots of issue and it is eliminating any chance that they have of capitalizing on that, on the margins. Um, So, you know, I, it's a weird thing. I think there's so much going on. That's not, not great. Um, But it's, I think there's so much going on. That's bad that it's hard at times to, to tell what exactly is going on. That's worse. You know what I mean? Does that yeah, make sense? It's like, hard to kind of pinpoint and say it's just because of this. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, and like the steel thing, like like we talked about a little bit, um, you know, you definitely would have liked to see more. But I mean, at this point, his spot's been taken by Lundstrom. And so, you know, uh, the team's top three centers at this point have to be uh, Lundstrom, Getzloff, and Rico. And that's a lot of questions about Sam Steele. But if that's the case, then why is Sam Steele being the one who's being kept at center when Lundstrom is getting moved to the wing on Friday night? It just doesn't make sense. So, I mean, and, and you could also argue, I know Trevor Zegras is, is kind of a center and a, wing, a winger as well, but the Ducks have also shifted Zegras to the wing for the start of his NHL career here when in the past we've seen them routinely keep prospects at center if they think they can be centers. We talked about that a lot before Trevor Zegers ended up making his debut with the Ducks, mm-hmm. that when you look at Ricard Raquel, Linderstrup's first nine-game stint, William Carlson, you know, all those guys played center when they came up. Uh, same with Sam Steele, and, and obviously Isaac Lindstrom now as well. But now you've got kind of this logjam where, you know, Henry to the wing for a bit at times, Sam Steele last year moved to the wing, uh, Linderstrom at times to kind of accommodate all these centers. Um, you know, with Grant out, I, I think that opens up some some more possibilities for the Ducks where we've seen Sam Steele as a fourth line center this year I don't think that's the best spot for him but if you want to play all these guys at center you've only got four spots to do it right and this is where we talk about the log jam of of, of players right now where some of these guys have to get moved out at some point 
and and to make room for for mm-hmm. players and get consistent playing time and consistent spots. And I think that's why you know these seasons, this one and next year, are so important for a lot of these guys. Is you know, you're winning your spot in the lineup at this point. You're competing with a lot of guys. There's a lot of guys coming in behind you too in San Diego that are gonna be trying to take a roster spot as well. And uh, you've got to earn your spot here. And I, and I think Sam Steele's one of those guys that should be feeling the pressure right now uh, to, to earn that spot. And you know, I just mentioned injuries as well. You know, Lindholm's still out. Manson's out. Uh, Derek Grant was out with an upper body injury. And then we got the news that Carter Rowney had surgery for uh, a meniscus injury, injury that he's out for the next four to six months. You know, what, you know I feel like what's coming next here is uh, another comment from Bob Murray about how the injuries have made this team worse than they should have been this year where um, I know there was a brief mention of it in the last article that we kind of referenced here that he was talking about how his, you know, Hampus Lindholm and Josh Manson have barely been in the lineup and they're always out injured for the last couple seasons and he always has to deal with injuries, but you, you feel like it's coming, right? Because it's been an excuse we've heard for the last couple of years that mm-hmm. inju- injuries have really hurt this team and taken them down from what they should have been. Uh, which I, I don't agree with, but it, it just feels like it's coming from Bob Murray, right? We've, we've got all these guys kind of injured and out of the lineup right now. Uh, key guys in, in Bob Murray's eyes, when you look at Rowney and Grant and obviously Lindholm and Manson, um, it, it feels like in, in the next comment from Bob is going to be some some mention and, and some justifying of, of how these injuries. Yeah, and, you know, I, I, I think any team losing a player of Lindholm's quality is going to take a step back. And when you lose a player of Lindholm's quality and you lose a player of Manson's quality, then, you know, you're going to have issues, but they've still got Fowler and they've still got Shattenkirk. And both of those guys aren't spring chickens. Fowler makes the most of any defenseman on the team. At a certain point, those guys have to step up. And I know, you know, it's felt a little bit like Shattenkirk has started to turn it around a little bit. Um, but that's mostly been offense. I don't know that he's been all that great at all on defense. Um, you know, and Cam Fowler, as much as I've said he's been playing well this year, like I don't – he hasn't played on his own to a level where you're like, well, you know, it's okay that we don't have Lindholm right now. Let's not rush him back or let's not rush, you know, uh, Manson back. Like it doesn't feel like there is the level of depth at the very top of this that there should be if you look at the salary cap. And I think that's the frustrating part in a lot of ways. Yeah, and, and we'll get to, to some of these guys later because we're going to cover uh, Eric Stevens' new article he put out today that kind of focus on the trade trees and why why Cam Fowler's contract is is so much worse than just the the value in the term. There's a, there's a lot of kind of underlying factors there, but we got to get to some of the trade rumors that have been popping up. They've been hmm. really popping up over the last couple of weeks here for good reason. We talked about John Gibson and Ricardo Kell in the last show, and then a few more things have seemingly come up over the last week here. First one I want to get to is uh, Elliot Friedman apparently on Saturday Night Headlines on Sportsnet last night made a brief mention, and I'll play the clip here, uh, that Troy Terry could be available for the Ducks. And just finally, one young player might be up for a change of scenery here, Troy Terry in Anaheim. I'm starting to hear some conversation about him and whether or not he might go somewhere else to get a change uh, from the Ducks. And just finally... That's it. That's that's the whole clip. Now, so when when I saw this, um, I just saw somebody tweet out that Elliot Friedman said that Troy Terry is is being shopped or or, or available. The, the The problem I have here is is it, it's a very short clip and it's a very short comment saying one player to basically keep an eye on here that could need a change of scenery is Troy Terry. Uh, 
Um, no speculation on saying that the Ducks are shopping him or that he's looking for a trade or that teams are inquiring about him. Just simply making the point that a player who could use a change of scenery is Troy Terry. I think you could make the argument for a lot of the players on the Ducks. Ricard Raquel, Jakob Silverberg, Adam Henrique. Uh, you know, the, the list goes on here as players who could benefit from a change of scenery than being around the dumpster fire that is the Anaheim Ducks right now. Um, it would be more interesting to hear s- s- some more details on this. So maybe we have to wait for, for Elliot Friedman's 31 thoughts or, or something like that, where we can get some, some hardcore, you know, evidence if teams are inquiring about Troy Terry, if Bob Murray's listening to calls or anything like that. But it de- it definitely does kind of stir up the fan base a bit to, you know, we've heard Ricard Raquel's name out there, Henrique, Manson, Silverberg, you know, the you know, a few other guys. And it's it's interesting to get Troy Terry's name thrown in this because he is the younger of that group, whereas re- recently it's been a lot of the veterans who have been kind of the subject of trade rumors. Yeah, and I think it's important with Troy Terry to kind of look at the whole, the whole picture, right? Um, first and foremost, I think it's important. This is the other side of all that wonderful press that Doug Scott for Troy Terry during the Olympics, you know, when he did his own little T.J. Oshie impersonation on all the uh, shootouts and things like that. Like, this is the other side of what comes with getting a semi-high-profile prospect on your team. We've seen uh, to a much more heightened degree the kind of uh attention that Zegris and Drysdale have uh have, have uh, generated and obviously you get it when you watch him play uh but Troy Terry had a stint in this you know he had his moment in the sun a couple of years ago and so it's been about him getting to that potential secondly we heard from Bob Murray the other day that he's this team isn't good enough it's not what he thought it was going to be and he's listening just period listening um in the article you mentioned earlier that Eric Stevens wrote this morning, he said that he has talked to sources inside and that they aren't shopping him. So I think if we put all of this together, what you're looking at is a young player on a decent contract, on a good contract. He doesn't even make one and a half. You know what I mean? Uh, that is notable, has a little bit of press, and maybe teams are like, well, you know, he did all right and he made the team and we've seen flashes and maybe teams are, are thinking by bringing him in they can get the most out of him. Bob Murray is certainly listening to calls on everybody, but Troy Terry probably isn't the guy that he's shopping. I think that paints a picture of what the situation we're looking at is, and I think the problem is is that Troy Terry has become a semi-divisive figure for the most baffling reasons um, in Anaheim. And as one of the prospects, and as we said, I think me and you said it a week or two ago, him and Steele have been the biggest disappointments this year. The other three have really done a good job, and we've been really happy with where they've been at. Um, so I just think it's, it's, it's a totality of a situation where a lot of teams could talk themselves into, uh, and rightfully so taking a chance on Trevor Zegras, uh, dumbass, uh, on Troy Terry. Uh, and so I just think, you know, like you said, he didn't say they're shopping him, but we know that everybody's listening on everybody. Nobody really is safe at this point. Um, except for, you know, a couple, a handful of guys. We'll get into that later, like you said, but I, I think like, Again, like you said, like I just think it's 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 a little bit of an overreaction and a misinterpretation of what Friedman said there to, uh, you know, say that the Ducks are shopping him and that they're looking to move him because that's just not what anybody has said, and that doesn't seem to be. There's no reason for that to be the case. Now, I don't think Troy Terry is good enough that you can't 
trade him, yeah. you know, in a vacuum. I don't think there's any reason to say he's untouchable. If you can get somebody, okay, fine. If you think that player could come in and be more impact right away, that's fine. Is that the best way to go about the process right now, given where the Ducks are? Probably not. But Troy Terry isn't untouchable. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, I think that's the thing for me too. Is is yeah, he, you know, he's definitely not untouchable. Uh, but I think you know, the the key point here is that you only trade him if you're getting something of, of near same value in return. Um, you know, a couple guys that have been mentioned that the Ducks are are, are revisiting. Casper Kaepernick is one of those guys that you know they missed mm-hmm. out on getting him from the Leafs. He goes to Pittsburgh. He's having a pretty decent se- season, all things considered. Uh, with the Penguins, uh, primarily his focus on that team is just scoring goals. <laughs> that's that's what he's there to be as a goal scoring winger. And you know, if if it was a deal, I'm not again. I'm not sure the Penguins even would even be interested. Wait, wait, wait. Time out. Are you you're saying Troy Terry's a goal scorer? No, no, Casper Kapanen. Oh, oh, oh. Okay, okay, okay. Sorry. I'm yeah, sorry. and and you know, if the deal was something around surrounding Troy Terry going to the Penguins and getting Casper Kapanen in return, you know, that that's something I would be okay with. I'm sure the Ducks would probably have to add to that or something, or who knows because of the cap hit difference, right? But you know, those are the deals I'd be okay moving Troy Terry. Like like you said, I don't think he's untouchable. But if you're going to move him, you have to make sure what you're getting in return is still you know, the same value here. You know, I don't think you really need to go out and get picks for a player like Troy Terry. If you're doing a straight hockey trade, which we know Bob Murray loves, I think that's what you can kind of explore with Troy Terry. But he's not a guy you would need to be actively shopping. I think is, is you know, the key point here is these rumors are out there because Bob Murray is listening on a lot of players. And there would be interest in Troy Terry based on his contract and what he's done this season and the flashes of brilliance that he has and, and his... You know his his impact on the game defensively is pretty good. You know he's a, he's a pretty good defensive yeah. winger, and the offense has been there. And I think there'll be a lot of teams that'll look at that and say, you know, maybe if we bring him here and put him in this situation, we can unlock that potential and and give him a shot. So it it makes sense to me that there are teams calling for him for sure. I think when you look at Steele and Jones and you know and Terry and and those kind of guys outside of Maxim Comtois. I think the the most interest would be in a guy like Troy Terry because I think there there is some some signs there that the potential could be there offensively and and everything else he's done this year has been positive. I think he's had a positive impact on that lineup. So teams who are up against the cap, I think he's a perfect addition for you know a, a third line for that team and maybe he squeaks his way onto the second power play. And or you can put him with you know a player if it was Pittsburgh like Evgeny Malkin and and really unlock that that offensive potential. So uh, you know I can I can definitely see the interest there. But for the Ducks, you have to be getting something of equal value in in return right now. Otherwise, it doesn't make a lot of sense to to move him out. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, no, and I, you know, I I think at this point, what you have to be looking at with him is, 
you know, because frankly, I was surprised uh, that his defensive numbers were as good as they were. Underlying defensive numbers were as good as they were. Um, I know, I think CJ tweeted out his uh, evolving hockey player card, and he was like 78th percentile, I think, in defense, and his offense was terrible. But he's a young player, and defense translates a little bit better than offense, I think, uh, just because so much of offense is luck uh, luck driven. Um, But I think... I think the thing that's interesting is now kind of what you're looking at with Troy Terry is, is where does he fall on that spectrum between Ricardo Kell and Jacob Silverberg? Cause to me, that's, that's the two kinds of players that you have when you're looking at top six wingers, right? You're looking at a guy who's an offensive player who can make plays for others, finish on his own. And then you've got a guy like Jacob Silverberg who has a good shot. He can finish, but more than anything, what he's going to do is he's going to play really good hockey and he's going to allow you to put him out there in in, in tough matchups and I, I think the question at this point now is is where is troy terry going to fall on that and if he's going to fall closer to silverberg and anaheim thinks that they have uh, enough guys that can fill that role and they need to look for goal scorers that's fine if they think he's going to be ricardo kell and they want to maximize the return that's fine i i don't you know Somebody said it in the chat. Um, you know, it feels very silly to give up on Troy Terry and Sam Steele so early, unless you know something that everybody else doesn't. Um, but you know, there's just there's, nobody has looked super great this year uh, consistently, except for you know maybe Max Comtois. Even then, his defense sucks, which is fine because he's scoring goals. But you know what I mean? There's nobody on this team that's been great that you should say well they're doing super well so all these other guys are not pulling their weight um so you know i like we said i don't think trading troy terry is in a vacuum a bad idea but i think given the context it feels short-sighted and i'm not sure why you would trade him for kasperi kapanen when he could be a kasperi kapanen type player and so i i just you know what i mean i don't know why you would take on that extra money for the same guy you're, you're making a trade to make a trade at that point. If you were to mm-hmm. trade Troy Terry for a player like Kasperi Kaepernick and potentially have to give him more assets to get Kaepernick, who's arguably right. a better player, and I don't even argue, he is a better player right now than Troy Terry is, at least offensively, when you look at the point totals he's produced this year. Uh, you know, the the most kind of upsetting thing, I think, for me, uh, in terms of Ducks News, has been um, a, a kind of a quote in uh, an article by Craig Custance at The Athletic where... He mentioned that the Ducks are no longer interested in swapping roster players for futures and that they're looking for a 24- to 27-year-old player in return as part of a hockey deal. That, that I think, is the most upsetting thing for me is because we've speculated you know, trades for Raquel and Gibson and whatnot over the last couple of shows here. We've looked futures-heavy in terms of first-round picks and prospects, which I, you know, I think, in my opinion, is the way the direction or the organization should take in terms of bringing in assets and, and kind of building for the future here. Um, but we know Bob Murray, and we know in the past he has loved a hockey trade, and he has tried to kind of pursue that every now he, every now and then when he can, uh, barring maybe the uh, Andre Kasha deal where he got a first-round pick and a prospect, and maybe Brandon Montour, but I guess you know Brandon Gooley was a prospect, but still a guy who had some NHL experience, and they got another pick out of that as well. So that that is still kind of close to a hockey trade. I don't 
get this whatsoever, right? Like if you're trading Ricard Raquel to bring back a 24, 27 year old roster player, it, it kind of begs the same argument we just had with trading Troy Terry. You know, you're making a trade to make a trade at that point, right? Like if you're looking for a 24 year old to 27 year old, why not just keep Ricard Raquel? He's 27 and he's still producing at a decent level this year. And he's still a good forward, right? You have that on your roster, unless you're trading Henrique or Silverberg or somebody like that for a player that's in the you know in the range of 24 to 27 to to kind of bring into this roster. Then sure, but not many of those guys at a high level are available of a, a really good contributor between the age of 24 to 27. Not many teams are moving them, and if you are moving them, it's because you either aren't a good team or that guy has not produced the way you thought he would. And why why do why would we want to bring another guy, another gamble like that into the organization? I don't have a name off the top of my head, but it, it seems like you're you're trading a guy you have like that for another guy in hopes that he's gonna do better on your roster and make a difference to this team. And one player is not gonna make a difference to this team right now. It's about getting those assets and building for the future. And I, I just I hate this approach. It's not surprising. Bob Murray loves this approach and has done it in the past. I just hate that it's still a thing and we're we're still hearing about, you know, Bob Murray having this kind of mindset trading some of the Ducks assets. So, I'm All right. So, I don't want to fight in front of the kids, but <laughs> I I have a little bit of an issue with how some people are taking that quote because I think it's ignoring to a degree this the 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 state the sentence in front of it. Uh, which is he's looking to move Raquel Gibbs, uh, Raquel Henrique and Silverberg. Raquel's 27. He's going to be 28 by the time the season's over. Henrique is 31, just turned 31, and Silverberg just turned 30 in October. If you trade any three of those guys for a 24-year-old, that's for me. That's a net gain because what you're doing is you're getting younger, and I don't think it's insane to think that simply bringing in likewise players who are younger is valuable because now what you're doing is you're saying, look, these guys fit a team that we don't have. So if we bring in these guys at a different point in their career to be part of the team that we think we can have going forward, I don't think that's insane. Do I think it's an issue that he's not looking for picks and prospects? Yes. But I I also understand if, you know, if you look at this and you're like, wow, Zegra seems to be pretty close to ready, and you go, Drysdale might be ready next year, and Lundestrom has popped this year. Comtois and Jones look like they really might be the real deal as far as you know, top six, top nine NHL players. I don't think it's insane to go, all right, let's add a couple of slightly older guys uh, and get rid of some of the older guys on our roster now. I don't think that's, I don't think that's terrible. Now. If you're trading, like I would have less of an issue with that than I would have trading Troy Terry for someone else the same age. You already have a Troy Terry. Just keep your guy. But, you know, trading two older guys who are on the other side of 30 with bad contracts, like if you get a 24-year-old in that situation or even a 25-year-old, I think that's a positive. So, you know, I I understand why the, the quote in and of itself is frustrating. I understand why the logic maybe doesn't kind of jive with what everybody wants but but i don't think it's an insane thing to say let the team get a little young because I, I i don't know maybe it's just my thing but it's just like 24 you've still got a few good years left to you even by the analytics numbers which say you know your prime kind of ends at 27 so 
you know, if you bring in guys that can be competitive and, 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 and useful players for the next four years and they don't end um, – sorry, guys, I'm fighting with my dog right now. Uh, and they don't hit 30 by the time that that four-year window is up, I think that's a positive. That's huge. Yeah, I, I think for me and, and the reason I'm upset with this comment is, is the way I'm taking it or the way I'm assuming is it, is it means players like Ricard Raquel are then getting traded for – a player between 24 and 27 and then it takes me back to that whole Troy Terry argument where he had where we already have a Ricard Raquel why go out and try and get a player like again bringing up Casperi Kapanen's name just because it's, it's relevant in the moment here like would you trade Ricard Raquel for Casperi Kapanen I don't necessarily think I would because no, I, but I don't think Casperi Kapanen is as good as right Ricard. but you know if we're, if that's the type of hockey deal we're we're looking at here where it is a player like Ricard Raquel who you're trading for a hockey trade then, then that makes no sense to me, and that's what I hate. You know, if you're exploring a hockey trade with Danton Heinen or Derek Grant or Adam Henrique or whatever, then then fine, because I think that's going to be a lesser deal. And but I don't think you you move the most valuable pieces you have in for a player between 24 and 27. I just I, I don't think you move Ricard Raquel for uh, another another player, another roster player. I think for him, the value is so high right now that you go out and you seek the futures. And then if you want to do hockey trades, if you want to go get Jake Vertanen and it takes Danton Heinen, sure. I'm not going to be upset by that. As much as I think Danton Heinen's a lot better of a player, it's not the end of the world. Danton Heinen isn't significantly making this team better where they're all of a sudden going to turn into you know, a playoff team if he's in or, in or out of the lineup. And the same goes for Jake Vertanen. If you want to take that swing... And hope that Vertanen can come in this lineup and get somewhat close to to what the the Canucks expected of him when they drafted him six overall. Take that risk. I don't care if that's the hockey trade you want to make. You know, you were going to get a third round pick for for Heinen to begin with, and instead you want to go for Vertanen. Fine, that fine. Take it. You know, a guy between twenty four and twenty seven who needs a change a change of scenery. I'm fine with that. For me, it's the big pieces. If you're going to seek that type of return for the Raquels. Uh, you know, the Gibsons, the Lindholms or whatever, that's where I think I have a problem in, in terms of what you're bringing in. And, and sure, it's situational. You know, it depends on what player it is. You know, if if a if it was a Connor Garland, for example, you know, then maybe the, maybe the conversation changed. You know, but those types of players who are high-end producers between the age of 24 and 27 are usually not available. And the ones you are getting are guys that are struggling or need a change of scenery. And and that's the problem I have of kind of moving guys like Raquel and some of the high value players we have for anything but futures. So, all right, I will tell, I will say, I will concede that point that the, the version of Raquel that is 24 years old right now is very rarely available and trading Raquel for that player likely um unless it's purely a money thing likely isn't possible or isn't going to happen and I I completely understand that and I also completely understand your point about um it's it's good to maximize the assets you have to get the type of futures but I just think if you said it'll cost you a fourth a third round pick and we're going to put Ricardo Cal in a time machine, and he's going to come out on the other end as the same guy at 24 years old. I mean, Ricardo at 27, we're talking about, well, maybe it might be worth keeping him because of how he's able to produce and how he's able to fit with different kinds of players. Like, do you see what I'm saying? Like, to go from 29 to, or 28 to 24 is huge. Yep. It's, it's definitely not maximizing, you know, uh, the return on him. 
but but I don't think it's it's an unforgivable trade. That is my point. I understand why people are upset with some of the logic. Everything you said makes perfect sense to me. Uh, specifically about you know those kinds of players not being available, so it's probably going to cost you another asset. But I just think there is a level with which that quote is being treated as this is a sin, and you know we have to get our pitchforks and our torches and run these guys out of Anaheim. Yeah. Like there are plenty of reasons to get mad at Bob Murray. Trying to get younger shouldn't be it. Just shouldn't be one of the reasons we're mad about. Yeah. Uh, and like you said, the context is incredibly important there, but. I do think there is somewhat of a, a lack of a holistic view that we're taking it, and it's it's a little frustrating. I, yeah, I think I think there's too much to interpret with that quote, right? Is is which players is he seeking to move for? Uh, you know, a roster player between the age of 24 and 27, and then in turn, eventually, what what players is he looking to get in return? Right, that's the big question. Um, am I completely against moving Ricard Raquel for a younger player between the age of 24 and 27? No. Uh, it depends on who it is, right? There are plenty of players out there who I'd say, okay, you know, that makes sense. And if the Ducks were getting another asset with that, whether it's, you know, a lesser pick or another prospect to go along with that, then maybe that's a deal that works out. It all depends on, on kind of what that, that player is. So, yeah, I don't I don't think it's, you know, I agree with you in the sense that it's not a reason to, to kind of get the, the pitchforks out and, and run to Bob Murray and be like, why are you pursuing another hockey trade? Because it, it does depend on what player you're getting in return. Um it's just the the past history of some of the, these hockey trades and the players that that he's kind of sought after, in some of them is 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 kind of what's what's got a lot of people scared. Um, all right, let's let's move on to this trade tier article because uh, we wanted to get to that. We're, yeah. we're nearing an hour here, so we'll go through the tiers, talk a bit about the players and and kind of how they fit in that tier, and and see if we think anybody else should be kind of moved around here. So, off the top of your head. If you had to pick untouchable players on this team, who would who? How many would you say there are, and who would they be? Uh, I have just completely untouchable. Like no way. If they bring up in any trade scenario whatsoever, it's not happening. Probably three. Who you got? I'd say the two kids and uh, Lindholm. So Zegris. Drysdale and Lindholm. Yeah. Okay, yep, mm-hmm. I think that's fair. I think for it hurts not to put Gibby in there, yeah. um, but I think those are the three for me. Uh, I, I freaking love Lindholm, man. I just love that guy. Yeah, and and it's pretty close to to what um, Eric Stevens has here. So I think Drysdale is taken out of this discussion because he hasn't played an NHL game. I think that's the approach Stevens took. But I would agree with you there. I think he was in the article. Was he? He was up there with yeah. He was in there with okay. Zegers. Nice. Now that might have been an edit or something after that you saw it, but I did see that because I was looking at your list that you put up. For okay, us perfect. When I read the because I, I would agree with but that. Yeah. I I would think Zegers and Drysdale, uh, you know, to some extent aren't untouchable. It would it would take a ridiculous like you would have to be you know getting somebody like a Jack Eichel or something in return. You know, a very very good young player to even a roster player to, to to go along with that to even consider moving one of these guys when you look at the state of the team and these are your top two young prospects and two of the top prospects in the nhl as well um i would put yeah those are my two um for me i think lindholm falls into the perfect tier here that that eric stevens has put him here which is pretty untouchable he's not untouchable but he's pretty close to it but if you got you know, let's say that top six or top line goal scoring winger, 
I think you take the shot. I mean, obviously it depends who it is, right? But if you get a bona fide top six goal scorer in this league who can go off for 25 to 30 goals consistently, I think you you take a look at at moving. So here, here's my question about that, right? Because I think – because when you start trading for prospects or younger players, I think when you trade, there should be a level of need that needs to be taken into account. If you look at the Anaheim pipeline, you've got Perot, you've got Colangelo. Those are guys who, and Braden Tracy, who we can look at and say, there's a chance these guys can develop into goal scorers. Who in Anaheim's pipeline right now do we think has even a shot at being Ampus Lindholm? Anything close, um, like defensively? Maybe Henry Thrun. I mean, yeah. Maybe Henry Thrun, but that's a long shot. Like Henry Thrun's ceiling right now I mean, is a top four defenseman. That's, that's my thing. Is I would be uncomfortable trading Lindholm for a goal scorer. Like I would rather trade for Bowen Byram than for. That's what I was about to say. Jack. I was about to say, would you trade Hampus Lindholm for Bowen Byram? Obviously, I'm sure the Ducks would have to add a little more to, more to that, but. Screw that! If I'm getting, if I'm trading Lindholm and I'm taking Byram, you're giving me something else. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, that's stupid. Because if you put Lindholm and McCarr together, Lindholm's better than Devin Taves, and look how great they've looked together with Devin Taves. Like I'm, I, I no, 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 no. You're giving me something. Screw that. Um, I get that point though. Like Lindholm you know, is in that pretty untouchable tier because there's only so many players you would you would ask for in return or you would want in return for him. You know that would be better than him. That would that would fit this organization. Yeah. It would have to be a young player close to NHL ready, if not playing in the NHL already, that can be a significant asset for this team in the future. Whether that's a top six winger or a defenseman with top pairing potential, I think those are the only two things you look at and say that's what I would take for Hampus Lindholm. Like you don't need a, a, a net miner. Yeah. You don't need a goaltending prospect. You don't really need. A center prospect, I don't th- say it would be off the table. It would depend on who comes in, right, uh, and who that, that asset is. But, again, you're looking at a forward with top six potential that is potentially already playing in the NHL or close to it, or a, t- a prospect or, or a defenseman that has kind of top pairing potential. I think those are the only two things you look for if you're, you're moving Hampus Linton, which is why I think he falls perfectly into that pretty untouchable tier because mm-hmm. he's not completely untouchable, but it would have to take – the exact right offer for the Ducks to even consider moving him. Yeah, you know, it's interesting thinking, I was just trying to go over names in my head, and I would actually be far more, like the one forward that comes to mind that I would be interested in would be Lundell. I might consider trading Lindholm for Lundell because I think Lundell's ceiling is a lot higher than people thought it was going into the draft. Uh, Alexander Holtz, Lucas Raymond, yeah, we can have that conversation. I'll have that conversation with you. But my big thing is, you know, I just don't know who is going to be the next Hampus Lindholm on this team. And if you tell me there's that guy in the draft and he's right in the range where the Ducks are going to be picking, that's fine. But it's very hard for me to accept that if only because – um what do you call it? You you run the risk of him just getting taken before you get there. Like that's just how the draft works. Um, you know, so I, I think I I think the thing with Lindholm is he's he's kind of falls into that category of he's worth more to us than you. 
You know what I mean? Um, so I think that's the big one for me. Yeah, and it's not a trade you make now, right? It, with no, you know, apparent hair in the system, where you, you know, well, like unless it was for a Byram or something like that, right? But like yeah. you said, they're outside of Thrun and maybe Mahura, there aren't really other guys who you could say are, are projected top four defensemen on the left side for this team in the future. Um, but if you go into the draft this year and you get an Owen Power, you get a Luke Hughes or whatever, and you get that left-handed defenseman, I think then it opens up the discussion for next year and beyond that now you do have that guy or presumably have that guy that you got at the top hand end of the draft that you now have a future of, of Power Drysdale or Hughes Drysdale that you can lean on. And you've got some of your youngers coming up in the, in the system that can fill out the, you know, the three, four, five, six spot on defense. That if you mm-hmm. get that offer, you know, whether it's for another young defenseman or a goal scoring winger or Anton Lindell, like a top six center, then maybe you're a bit more inclined to look at that deal. You know, I think Hampus Lindholm, even if you keep him and you get Luke Hughes in the draft or you get Owen Power and then you have Power, Drysdale. Lindholm and you know whoever Manson or whatever or somebody else you draft. I, I heard a talking point. I heard he's the savior. <laughs> yeah, even if it's Yanni Occupy sticks oh. around, right? Like, like it's not bad to keep Hampus Lindholm. Like you said, he's still even with a Hughes or a power in the system. Lindholm is still very valuable to this team and young enough that when they are good, having your top three as being one of Power and Hughes with Drysdale and then Hampus Lindholm is excellent. That's great to have that and to have less responsibility on Hampus Lindholm offensively where you can play him 20, mi- 20 minutes a night in the, the hard minutes and open up some more space for guys like Drysdale and potentially Power and Hughes to, to really do what they do best. At that point, yeah, you can make that argument. Is he more valuable to stay with the team even with those young defensemen in the system than to bring in another player? And I think that's why he kind of falls in that tier, right? Is it so situational that, you know, you you only move him if the the very right deal comes across the board that you look at it and just say I mean we have to take that we can't turn that down we love this guy mm-hmm. but I mean look at this deal that we have here there's no way we can say no to this I think that's the only way you move Hampus Lindholm right now and 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 you know the funny thing I think if you polled Ducks fans and asked a lot of people right now I think there would still be some people who who think that he, you you need to trade him now. And that he's not untouchable. Like I think there's there's a lot of people who think we should trade Hampus Lindholm right now, um, and I'm not sure exactly where that's coming from because he just seems like the perfect guy out of anybody on this team, the perfect guy to keep around for when they are good again because he really hasn't done anything wrong. Like he's he's been the definition of consistency for this team. You know, we can talk about all these guys who haven't stepped up or, the, or that have disappointed. Hampus Lindholm's name never makes it into that discussion. It never does. Nope, never. Never top five. He's just been the really the only consistent player. John Gibson maybe gets into that discussion, but it's hard to because he gets more impacted by the team struggle than a player like Hampus Lindholm does. But Lindholm is the definition of consistency on this team over the last five or six years. And, and that's, I think, why you don't move him. Because when you are good again, and if you do have two offensively gifted defenseman in front of him or even like somebody just said in the chat here perfect guy to play with dry seal potentially as well like you got to take these things into account how valuable he is uh he is with this team you know you can be you can be disappointed with him uh, a little bit maybe that he hasn't kind of stepped up offensively this year but i i think he's done everything you can ask for 
and and he's done that. He's been really one of the only guys to do that. Yeah, I you know I uh, there's a, a name that I can't quite think of, but he he played with uh, Chicago when they won their first cup, and then he got traded uh, to Atlanta in or Florida, and he played with Ekblad early on in his career. Um, Brian Campbell. I want to Brian Campbell. Yeah. I so for me, and this is the thing that I have said about Lindholm is there is no part of his game to me or what makes him so good that won't that should deteriorate rapidly in the next six years um i really really do look at him and think of him as a campbell or you know even a bowmeister where it's just like this dude's just smart he's a smooth skater and he's gonna be able to do this for five or six years unless he suffers some kind of catastrophic ankle or knee injury i don't see any reason to think that Hampus Lindholm can't just be a consistent and steadying presence on the blue line for shit, 10 years, man. Like I just, I think so highly of Lindholm. And I think when he play, when he's playing and when he's really on, he takes so much pressure off the rest, uh, off the rest of the team because he's just so steady. Like you said, he's just been such a consistent player. Like I've said at the beginning of the year and it's, always going to be true for me he's the best player at his position on this team and he's one of the three best players on the team um and i don't think it's really that close i think the gap between him and raquel is significant um you know so you know that's my thing with him i i i definitely agree that there needs to be a willingness to trade him depending on what you get because you know borderline nobody should be untouchable but he really is very much part of that group, like I said, of he's more valuable to me than he is to you. And so if you want him, you're going to have to pay through the nose. Yeah, and I think that defines the state of this this organization right now where you can really truly say that only three guys probably shouldn't be moved. Or not shouldn't be moved, That, but that it's very difficult to say you want to move them right now with Zegers, Drysdale, and Lindholm. Because you get into the next tiers here. And, and the next tier that uh, Eric Stevens had listed was the only if he wants to leave tier, which is Getzlaff, Gibson, and Miller. Um, I, I tend to agree with that. I think for sure Getzlaff and Miller are a part of that discussion just because of their age and you know the, their situations with this team. It doesn't make sense for either of them to really go unless they wanted to leave and pr- pursue a Stanley Cup. Other than that, you know, Bob Murray's already come out and said he's not going to move Getzlaff unless Getzlaff asks for a trade, which is nothing new and nothing surprising. Kind of expected that uh, to be the case. John Gibson's an interesting addition to this, but I also tend to agree with it in a way. Um, I, I think you could move him to another tier, which we'll get to in a bit here, but it, it really is. It, it, he does kind of fit in here, right? Because you, you really only would trade him right now if he wanted to leave. I think if you got a ridiculous offer, that's the other scenario here because mm-hmm. he's a bit different than Getzlaff and, and Miller that you could get a ridiculous offer for John Gibson. But if you're the Ducks right now, really the only situation you end up moving him now is if he says, okay, I want to trade, get me out of here, um, mm-hmm. barring the barring the big offer. So this one makes sense to me. Anybody anybody you would take out of this tier or potentially move into a tier uh, like this that they would only only be traded if they wanted to leave? Not really. Um you know, I think for me, Manson is borderline in that tier, but that is for me much more cultural. I I really do value 
um, the kind of, uh, and I hate saying crap like this because I sound like an idiot, but like I, I really do value the kind of toughness that he brings to the team. I do value his game. I, I really think he's gotten a bad rap the last couple of years. I definitely don't think he's been as good as he was a few years ago, but I don't think he's been nearly as bad the last few years as people are are saying. Um, you know, if he's he's kind of right in that I think where Stevens has him is right, which is the we need we need to maximize the return because we need to start moving forward. And I think that's totally fair. But for me, if I could keep him, I would like to. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think he, he kind of falls into that part. Um, the next. Wait, because here's the other thing I want to say real quick about. Yeah, Manson. yeah go ahead. The, the thing about Manson is to me is he is. He is a very classic hometown discount guy he was taken by a six round pick by anaheim they developed him they brought him up they made him a big deal like no i don't want to say they made him because like he you know he worked and stuff like that but like they made him an integral part of this leadership group of this team um they really value him and what he brings and so i think he's the kind of guy that you could get on a team friendly deal for his next contract is it is a team friendly deal still good value? That's a question. Um, you know, and I think that's why he's not quite only if he wants to leave. But I, I do think, you know, he could get a not as big of a raise as you think he's going to get on his next contract. And he would do that for Anaheim. Because, I mean, I, I, I don't want to speak too much about this because I technically don't know anything. But like his pops was an enforcer, man. Like his dad's a team guy. Yeah, uh, Manson has always been a team guy. That stuff's really important to him. You can tell it was ingrained in him from an early age. The way, um, you know, just the way that he plays the game. Like it, it really bothered me last night. I don't mind being bad, but I hate getting pushed around. And they looked like crap last night. Like just the last two nights, Anaheim has been pushed around so much, and it's just like, look, if you're gonna get outskated, that's fine, but you you can't get be like this like you can't get embarrassed physically like this in public like you got to get some of these guys out of the blue paint you got to take some of these hits like you know curtis gabriel took a big run at larson and delorier made him pay for it but even then he had made more than a few of those earlier before that fight even happened and i just i don't i don't like watching a team get taken advantage of and it's been really hard for me and manson is one of the guys for me that he's going to prevent that um, or maybe not prevent it, but definitely make people pay for it. You know what I mean? Like, I, I really will never forget watching Giordano go knee to knee on Cam Fowler and, Cam, and Manson just found him. And he was like, no, this is happening. And then he beat the shit out of him. And it was genuinely one of the highlights of my fandom this last few years because I hate Mark Giordano. Um, but that's the kind of stuff that, like, especially on a rebuilding team with a young guy, like, you know, maybe you don't need a Delorier if you have a guy like Manson who can actually do those things while also being a legitimate NHL player. So he's a, I, I, I didn't, it was a little bit of a tangent. But. No, but he, he's also one of those guys kind of similar to Lindholm that you could see have a future in this team when they're good again. Right. And, and if Lindholm doesn't play with Drysdale, like a second pairing of Lindholm and Manson would be, would be pretty nice for the ducks to have to throw out behind Drysdale and whoever, uh, the Ducks have with uh, with Drysdale at that point. You know whether it if if somehow Cam Fowler is still sticking around or if it is uh, a defenseman they draft in the next few drafts here that that ends up playing with with Jamie Drysdale. It, it isn't a bad piece to to kind of keep around on a team friendly deal if Josh Manson is still kicking around at you know around four just over four million dollars, right? Like he he would be 
a solid piece to have on this team. It just all depends on when you think the Ducks are going to be competitive again and how good you think he's going to be at that point. And, you know, he falls in, in the tier after the one we're going to talk about here. But the next tier that Stevens had was the untradeable tier, which I would tend to agree with this one. There's five players, uh, Cam Fowler, Jacob Silverberg, Adam Henry, Kevin Shattenkirk, and Derek Grant. They're all in here for different reasons. Fowler is in here, I think, for the one of the, the main reasons is that his contract uh, – not just the term and value, but the clause he has in his contract is so bad that you you almost can never trade him unless the perfect scenario comes out because Fowler's clause is that he submits a four team trade list that he can be traded to, which takes twenty what, twenty seven teams out of the mix. Um mm-hmm. Well, 26 and 27 next year. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I would imagine, you know, you never know. I know Detroit's really bad, but I would imagine Detroit is one of those teams because he's from the area. Outside of that, I have no idea who the other three teams would be. Uh, and even if Detroit is on that list, but it just makes it so difficult to trade him because not only does he not have a great contract and, and he hasn't really lived up to the potential that you expected of him, the term isn't great. It takes him to an age where you're like, eh, I don't know if I want this guy that much around. <laughs> And, and then, yeah, you only can negotiate with four teams. <laughs> and if all four of them say, hell no, we don't want Cam Fowler, you're keeping him. You're stuck with him. And and that's that. That's why you know he easily makes this list. He's at the top of this untradeable list for me. Um, Adam Henrique and Jakob Silverberg are just behind, and we've seen that with Henrique already this year, that put on waivers, they tried trading him, it didn't work, nobody wanted to take him. I think the only way you do trade him right now is if you retain salary. And I think Silverberg falls into that exact same kind of situation there is maybe he has mm-hmm. a bit more value than Adam Henrique, but not by significant margin. It's the same scenario where you're likely retaining salary to get him out the door at that point. Um, Kevin Shattenkirk, as much as he's looked actually better over the last couple of games, it's the same thing. You know, the age, the, the two years left at 3.9, which is a little bit more than I think mm-hmm. teams are willing to comfortably take him on for. Uh, you could probably find suitors for him, just like you could probably find suitors for Henrik and Silverberg. But it becomes it comes at a uh, <laughs> a reduced uh, a reduced uh, retained salary hit at that Sorry, point. Guys. Your dog does not like Kevin Shattenkirk, clearly. He's a very smart dog. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it, there's no question that those four guys are on there for a reason. And then Derek Grant just kind of makes it on there for the fact that he's not good. And you would have to take him on for another three years. The salary doesn't really matter with Derek Grant. It's just, do I really want to pay this guy $1.5 million or whatever? I think that's what Derek Grant makes. And, and he's not. Yeah, 1.5. And he's not good. All right. Like for Derek Grant's case, that's why he's there. For the other guys, it's because, you know, they're not as good as their contract states. And their contract has put them in such a situation that they're just unmovable at this point. I, I, it sucks, man. I think all of those players are fine enough players. You know, Grant is what he is. But I think the big thing really is, and this is something we talked about, I think, this morning or last night, is Bob Murray's biggest issue seems to be giving out terrible contracts. Like, I, I, you know, I think that that part of it is really what has handicapped this team more than anything is his inability to, um, you know, get – good value on anybody that's not an RFA like the moment he doesn't have leverage he almost seems to just give the bank away and I don't understand it I think you know you could retain a million a million and a half on Shattenkirk and you could find somebody to take him um I think you would have to retain 50 percent on Silverberg and Rico uh to get him out the door for any kind of decent return 
Cam Fowler, man, I don't know what you do unless you trade him for another bad contract. Like, like unless you like he want like for some dumb reason, Buffalo's on his list. Unless it's a Poso for him, and maybe you get like a first or a second round pick out of it or something like that. I don't know who is lining up to take Cam Fowler. I think that contract because I I just that's not a contract that I want to retain salary on. It's so long, and to have to retain salary on that contract because you shot yourself in the foot the moment it was signed is is very hard for me. Yeah, to 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 rationalize. I wasn't even sure I wanted to retain salary on on contracts or deals for um for Henrik and Silverberg, let alone you know Cam Fowler getting thrown into that mix. That's a whole different animal at that point. Um, in terms of how long that's hitting you and and how much you'd mm-hmm. have to retain to kind of get that done. Um, outside of that tier, we move into kind of, I guess, the trade these guys now tier. It's the it's time to rebuild and we need max value in return. Ricard Raquel makes this one, obviously, probably the most valuable player the Ducks could move, I guess, outside of Hampus Lindholm and John Gibson at this point just because of his production and the contract that he's on. And, and then Josh Manson also makes this one which um, I kind of agreed with you. There's a few tiers he could probably fit under here. I think the, the most, um, the other tier outside of this one that this is really the closest is the if only if he wants to leave tier, which you had mentioned, that I think he could fit into mm-hmm. that one as well. But um, I would lean maybe a little bit more to what Stevens has here and, and having him in the um, kind of it's time to move him uh we need max value thing. Uh, we need max value tier because I think as a right shot defenseman, there's been clear interest from a lot of teams in a player like Josh Manson. He has a lot of value outside of the you know rare offensive production that we see from him. And the contract isn't that ridiculous that you can't trade him at all. So I, I agree with this. I, I think like Ricardo Raquel is priority number one. And then if you get a good offer for, for Josh Manson, sure. Like you need it. You need max value, right? That's what you need for Josh Manson. If you're going to move him, you need max value for him. Um, and I guess the same can be said for Ricard Raquel, but I think priority number one would be finding a, a you know, a suitable trade partner for Ricard Raquel and, and getting as much as you can in return for him. Yeah. It, you know what I think is funny is I think the, the untradeable tier and the time to rebuild tier, I think are completely interlocked because I think, the reason that you want to move Raquel and Manson, like you said, is get that max value. They're, they have one year left. Their cap hits aren't prohibitive. Um, they're used players. You can see them slotting into a team, a competitive team right away. Like you just you look at those guys and you're like, I get what they're doing. The problem is, is that's all the reasons you want to keep those guys. But you can't because of the four guys above them. If you don't have Fowler, Silverberg, Henrik, and Shattenkirk on the books, or maybe Shattenkirk on there is a little rough, but still. I don't think you're looking to move these other two guys because they're not eating up that much cap space and you might be able to get them on a decent deal next. So it feels the frustrating thing is, is that the best moves to make are self-inflicted. And that is, that is part of the problem. Um, But yeah, I don't think either of those guys shouldn't be in that group. I think if you can, you get the best offer that you can. Uh, I also think, and this might be something we talk about later, but I think the the quarantine window is going to make the trade deadline really interesting this year because I would start making those phone those phone calls, trying to get that two week to end at least within a week, uh, you know, three or four days either side of the trade deadline because there's only I think twelve or thirteen games after the deadline, and 
you know, I don't know how much the return you're going to be able to get is if they're only going to be able to play in six of those plus whatever maybe uh, you get um, in the playoffs. But I think the trick with trading guys like that is you want to target those teams who are kind of on the fringe and you have a good shot of getting an extra lottery pick. Um, So, you know, it, it just it's again, I think that those guys are absolutely where they should be. Uh, as much as it pains me, and I think the reason that they are is because of the guys on the list above them. So, yeah, it's it's a tough spot. When you move into these last um, four tiers here, they they kind of all blend in a little bit together. Uh, the useful and might be good to hang on to tiers: Hack and Pun, Delorier, which. I can I think for their unique skill sets, I, I 100% agree with why they're there. I mean, Hackenpah literally hits everything that moves. And I believe heading into today, he passed Radko Gudis for second in the NHL and hits only trailing Brady Kachuk. And if Radko Gudis can still find a job, I feel like Danny Hackenpah can still find a job somewhere. And he, he's, he's, he fits a, a role now. Underlying numbers aren't great for him since the start of the year. You know, he he had a formed a, a pretty good partnership with Cam Fowler, and that's kind of fallen off the wayside a little bit. You know, he's not a perfect shutdown defenseman by any means, but when you look at what he's out there to do, I, I agree with him being in this tier of might be good to hang on to because when the Ducks are competitive, him being that kind of sixth or seventh defenseman, I don't think is a bad thing. Like, even if he's not your sixth, if he's your seventh and you're coming up against a physical team and you say, okay, we're throwing you in there, I think he's a good matchup defender mm-hmm. at that point, right? So I think he's useful to hang on to. He's not going to cost you really more ever than $1 million. And you can just have him in there as, as a versatile defenseman to throw in in certain situations. I think he fits that. And I think Nick Delory is exactly the same thing. Like, if he's not, even if he's not your 12th forward, if he's your 13th guy, and you rotate him in in games where you want a bit more physicality, I think he fits that role perfectly. So I think both of these guys kind of make sense to have there uh, in that, you know, they're useful pieces to hold on to for certain situations. Yeah, I agree completely. I think both of those guys are probably 12, 13, 6, 7 defensemen. You know, I I think Hockenpah is kind of what we – or what the organization, at least, had hoped Corbini and Holzer is. He's big, he's tough, he's right-handed. Um, you know, he plays a simple game. He is of, of himself. He gets it. I, I don't think that's a bad player to hold on to at all. If you can get a fourth-round pick for him, maybe you take that shot. But I don't know that it's it's worth it, you know, uh, either way. Um, and the same with Delorier. You know, if someone wants to give you a pick for it, that's fine. But, I, you know, I don't think Delorier's like, I don't think either of those guys are the reason this team is bad, despite what Twitter might kind of think is the popular narrative. Yeah. Um, you know, I just don't think either of them are a problem, and I don't think either of them are a solution. So I think if you think you can get good value, uh, great. If not, there's no problem with keeping them. They're not going to be expensive to keep. Delorier is already locked up for another year. Um, so, you know, I, I think those guys are just, yeah, they're more useful to us than they are to you. And there's really no reason to move them unless we get a stupid trade out yeah, of it. Yeah, like the, what you'd be getting in return for these guys would be worth just keeping them around. Like you're getting a sixth round pick or something for <laughs> for for these guys. You might right. as well just have them in the organization at that point. Um, all right, so these next two tiers, we're almost wrapped up here, but these next two tiers are to where all the kids really fall into. So we've got there is promise, and we want to see where this goes tier, and the the don't give up just yet unless we get proven talent tier. 
So for the first one where it's promised we want to see where it goes, that's Maxim Comtois, Max Jones, and Isaac Lindstrom. And for the don't give up yet unless we get proven talent, it's Troy Terry, Sam Steele, and Josh Mahura. Um, again, these are fairly similar. It's slightly different wording, say, you know, but it, it's fairly the same thing. Like these are all six guys that there's some promise there. They might be good. If you got a good offer, you'd maybe be willing to move them, but you're not actively seeking them. I, I think Comtois easily fits mm-hmm. into that. There's promise. We want to see what we have. He's the kind of the mold for that. I would almost potentially move him up into a, you know, I, there there really is no other tier he fits into, but like you're not going to trade this guy right now type tier. Uh, Max Jones, I, I like that because again, similar to what we just talked about in terms of you know, there's a, a fit for him in the lineup. I think he's a unique pick, and we don't have too many guys that like him outside of maybe Sam Colangelo, who the Ducks just drafted. That there's a reason to keep him around and see what you got, and, and Isaac Lindstrom as well. I mean, obviously the offense has come this year in spurts, but that's what we were waiting for from him was to see that offensive flair come in at the NHL level. And we've seen that, so I think all three of these guys kind of fit into that tier. Well, I think the only guy I'd move up there is Josh Mahura. I think he should go into that. This is promise. We want to see where it goes here because, you know, he's only played a handful of games, and every time he's come up, he's looked good offensively. Uh, you know, most defensemen who come into this Ducks lineup right now are going to struggle on the defensive end just because of how this team <laughs> is set up. But I think he 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 probably should, for me, jump up from that. Um, unless we get proven talent here to a more of we're going to hold on to this and see what we got. Cause I don't think he's been given the real opportunity to succeed yet. Like some of these other guys have gotten. Yeah, no, I think that's all right. I think, um, you know, I, I definitely think the three that are singled out as almost keep it all cost Comtois Jones and Lundstrom, I think is dead on. Uh, like we said, uh, I don't think there's any reason to give up on Thierry or Steele yet. Um, you know, there's still enough there. Especially, I think, uh, I don't know. I mean, that's curious. Um, but I, I just think there's enough there with all three of those guys, Maher included, to think that, you know, this could, especially right now, like, what are you going to do? Move him out for another guy the exact same age who was a letdown at his last place? Yeah. Like, I just don't know, you know, that a Yuri Sakach for uh, Devontae Smith-Pelly trade right now is going to be worth it. Um, so, yeah, I think... You know, I, I'm not really in a rush to get rid of any of those three guys unless you, somebody's willing to give you, like, I don't know, a late first or a high second, which just isn't going to happen. Yeah. Um, so, you know. Yeah. I, 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 don't, I don't know that you're going to get much. I them. think they all fall into that tier of there's promise and you want to see more from them. Just some of them fit it a little bit more in the sense that you're not going to trade them right now. Like, Maxim Comtois at the top of that list is yeah. like, you're not really going to move him. Whereas like maybe Troy Terry and Sam Steele are a little bit more likely to be moved, but you're really not actively seeking because you know there's some promise there. There's still potential that could be fulfilled because of how young they are, and you're just waiting for for that development to happen. Where you're, you know, if you got a great offer, then you'd probably consider moving them, but you aren't uh, you aren't looking to trade them. And, and Brett just said like we never win the change of scenery trades anyway, so maybe it's not the best. Yeah. Uh, the best option to explore but uh, this last tier here to kind of wrap things up is my favorite because it's just the what's left basically it's to see if we can get anything back for them tier and uh it's danton heinen ben hutton jacob larson carter rowney sonny milano and brendan gooley um the only real one i have an issue with is is brendan gooley 
because I, I think, you know, because of the injuries, he hasn't gotten a full shot to prove anything. Like I would almost slide him up into the tier, the same tier as Josh Maher and some of the other kids and say, you know, I want to see a little bit more from him at the NHL level before I tell him to get lost and see whatever we can get for him. Uh, but most of the other guys, I guess I agree with, like, I think Danton Heinen's getting the short end of the stick here, but it almost seems like his time is up in Anaheim just because the organization doesn't like him. So at this point, you kind of see what you can get from him. And then, I, you know, Sonny Milano a little bit harsh here because I think he's just been limited because there's too many players in front of him that the Ducks have a bit more faith in. If he's not going to play, I still think you can get more from him rather than just playing him in the AHL and not giving him a chance. So I, I see why he fits here. I think, yeah, for, for me, the only guy I really have an issue with him being on that list is Brendan Gooley because I think it's too soon to move on from him. See, that's funny. The only two guys I have an issue with is Milano and Heinen. I think we've seen enough from both of them to think that there's – it's. if you're looking at this roster, it's hard not to see both of them having a spot in this 12-man lineup uh, of forwards. I just think they've both shown uh, what they can do. You know, I, I honestly wonder if it wouldn't be best to play them together. You know, Milano's got that kind of offensive upside. Heinen has really been a good defensive and utility knife type player. I mean – those two with Sam Steele, like, I, I don't know that that's not a great third line uh, as far as kind of what the Ducks have right now. You know what I mean? I'm not saying, you know, that's the third line that's going to get you to become a contender. But I think if you look at all things considered, you could do a lot worse than that line. Um, you know, but, you know, as far as Gooley, he's got he's got a handful of skills that you're like, I wouldn't want to give up on him unless we had to. But at the same time, like, I just I don't know how many guys like that you can have in there, you know? And if you trade Larson and Hutton, that's fine. But I think Gooley gets you more. And I think Gooley and Mahura are the same player in, in a lot of ways. Um, and it seems that Mahura has shown a little bit more at the NHL level than Gooley has. So, Yeah, I, I think if you got a good enough return, then I'm not against moving him. Uh, and I guess it's the same for everybody on, on that last tier there, where, like, if you got something and it wasn't, like, just you're giving away for free. Like if you're actually getting a legitimate asset for some of these guys, then I'm fine with that. Um, you know, I don't think there's anybody in there that you really have to dump a contract off and you're just mm -hmm. taking whatever you can to dump the contract. Like Ben Hutton doesn't make a lot, but if somebody's willing to give you something for him, I think you take it just to get something for him. Right. He's not really pretty value to, to the team. And I think uh, the same could be said for, for some of those guys, but uh, let's, let's wrap it here. Cause we're pushing, pushing past an hour and a half here. Um, uh, you know, I'm I'm surprised with how many people turned out here. Really appreciate you guys coming out to the live stream on a, on a Sunday. Definitely, um, I know it was a bit of a, a shift from the the regular post game show, but we love everybody who got a chance to come out live and and join us for uh, for today's show. Uh, we'll be back Tuesday after the Avalanche game. Ducks are on the road to take on the Colorado Avalanche with Nathan McKinnon in the lineup this time. Obviously, the last two games we played against Colorado, there was no McKinnon, no McCarr. Uh, McKinnon will be back and potentially Mikhail McCarr, so it'll be a completely different matchup this time. <laughs> um, but we got Colorado Tuesday, uh, Arizona on Thursday, and Arizona again on Saturday, where we have shows set up for all three of those games. So we'll be back pretty often for the podcast uh, this week. Again, we appreciate you guys all coming out, and uh, we will see you Tuesday after the Colorado Avalanche game. Take care, guys. Bye, everybody. Thanks again. For the ones who know that a little late is always too late, and that the clock doesn't stop just because you're missing a part, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry 
And our KeepStock inventory management solutions help ensure you have the right stuff in the right place at exactly the right time. Visit Granger.com/slash KeepStock to learn more. Granger for the ones who get it done.